Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. The Product Startup, Episode 52. Alice Orozco talks about selling made-to-order draperies online via Pret-a-Portier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, where we talk about turning ideas into successful products step-by-step. Step. I'm Philip Belitza, and thanks for listening today. In the last episode, Samantha and Elaine of Midas Cup talked about creating an all-natural alternative to coffee, so make sure to check out episode 51 if you want to hear more about creating a food product and getting it into local stores. So let's jump right into our interview today. Hi, Alice. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. So I'm really excited to have you on because I was interested in your story because you mentioned early on that you had a hard time getting started. And I know a lot of the people listening are the same way. They have a problem just taking that first step. You know, they get trapped in their head or, you know, maybe even find it difficult to kind of... Uh, go out there and, and test the product and see if they've got a market for it. So I was hoping maybe you can talk about how you got started and why you got the idea to create your products. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I started the company uh, purely out of my passion for interior textiles. I had been out of the industry for three years at the time. I was working for an association helping women in ICT and biotech, and I worked out of a startup incubator. Uh, this is where I developed a strong appreciation for entrepreneurship and also I reflected a lot on my own background growing up amongst like a very entrepreneurial mother um, and so taking all these experiences and watching and learning from these startups I was very eager to restart my drapery business and do it in a way that is streamlined, automated, and creates opportunity for scaling and high growth, which is very difficult to do with custom soft furnishings, as I discovered. However, um, you know, after like much trial and error, I have finally cracked the code or business model, if you like. So talk about that a little bit. When you first got started, you mentioned that you bootstrapped the business. Yeah. What does that mean? I actually sat on the idea probably for about two years and I had all the funding to start my company and then life happened and I was pregnant and I couldn't, I just, I didn't have the money, but I knew I wanted to start this business and I didn't want to wait any longer. So I was actually five months pregnant uh, when I started it and I literally started with no money. It took a lot of work, uh, probably about a year from that point. So we launched a year after that. Uh, but yeah, it took a lot of work, um, a lot of groundwork, a lot of research, um, and a lot of negotiating with suppliers as well. Yeah, so let's take it even a step further before that. Uh, sometimes people say that, oh, you know what, I have this idea and I want to turn it into a product. I don't know how to get started. Talk about your process a little bit. When you had this idea to do some of these custom furnishings, was that what you started with? I had a business selling custom curtains, which I started 
when I was about 16 years old and I did that for three years. I didn't realize at the time, but I was actually very successful and I never really appreciated everything that I had accomplished in that three-year period. However, that business, it failed in a sense because I had no accounting experience at all, no business experience. I actually stopped doing that business and I went and I studied um, a degree and whatnot. But uh, like I said, I was out of the industry for quite some time and one of the things that I loved was uh, textiles and now working in that industry already, uh, you know, I mainly worked with a lot of high profile clients. I worked, um, you know, with very upmarket uh, customers and I was selling draperies that were just ridiculously priced and always in the back of my mind I just thought look there has to be another way there has to be a way to be able to give this sort of quality product to a larger group of people and that's something that I sat on for quite some time just sort of thinking about it trying to develop some strategies around that until I, I finally um, was able to do that. And that's when I decided I, I needed to start this business. Yeah. And when people usually go through that process, I think they they sometimes produce maybe a limited run of products and they go out there and sell them or they go and talk to some people face to face or they set up a table and ask people's opinions. Um, how did you do that to make sure that there was a market for it? I mean, obviously, you worked in that industry for a bit before, so you understood the market really well. Yes, yes. Um, I did actually do a feasibility study, you know, which took me about six months to complete. And I did a lot of intensive research, you know, not only in the industry, but on the kind of customers that I was going to be targeting. You know, it was very obvious to me, like, uh, I don't know what it's like over there, but in Australia, we do a lot of new builds, um, you know, apartments, homes. And yeah, uh, renovation is a big thing here as well. So it was very obvious to me that it's it's quite a large enough market for me to get into, and it was very feasible. Um, in terms of speaking to people, um, I didn't really do a lot of that, only because I I had already been in over two hundred homes previously, helping them with their window furnishings. I knew what people wanted. I knew what kind of products they would buy. So putting the right product in front of them was very easy for me based on my experience in the past. You mean as an interior designer? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I knew exactly what kind of product they would go for. So because, like I said, I was bootstrapping it, I couldn't offer everything. Uh, at the start, I only had, I think, about 10 products, which I selected based on my experience of what people generally bought. And with, look, with curtains, it's like people generally go for those neutral colors. It was very, very um, easy for me to pick the product. But having said that, if I didn't have that experience, I think it would have been very wise for me to go out and, and get that research face-to-face -face with other people because otherwise I would have put the wrong product in front of the wrong people and it would have been a very costly mistake. Yeah, and that's a good point that you bring up about 
you know, using your past experience as an advantage. And I think a lot of people don't do that as they come into a new space and maybe they don't apply what they've learned before mm. just because it's, uh, you know, they, maybe they don't think about it. But it's interesting that you were able to do that with your work. Can you talk a little bit about how you're able to push through, you know, the, the challenges of competing against some of these larger companies? You know, whenever we think about creating a product, you, you see a gap in the market. And you feel like you can fill it, but then at the same time, a lot of the markets are dominated by these conglomerates that have a lot more purchasing power, a lot larger budget for marketing and advertising. What made you think that you could compete with them? This industry here where I'm based, it's very fragmented. So um, you either have, you know, people, you know, just sewing window furnishings out of home or you've got your much larger retailers and then in between you've got your interior designers. For me, it was very clear, like I said, because I saw a lot of web startups, um, it was very clear for me that I needed to be online. And um, so that was a big plus for me, um, just being able to identify the fact that Australia needs an online retailer of, of window furnishings or custom window furnishings. And uh, another thing also was the fact that you either have your budget cheap product or your very expensive product out there. I wanted to be in between. And yeah, like, you know, I just understand the market. I know what it's like. I know what's out there. I have done a lot of research on, you know, the publicly listed companies in my industry and a lot of the smaller retailers that are out there as well, also wholesalers. I actually worked with them. So through my previous business, I did outsource to a lot of them. So I understood how they worked and who their customer base were. Yeah. And look, I even reached out to a lot of other suppliers and, you know, people were generally pretty happy to help you know I'd say to them look I want to get into this industry I just basically want to pick your brain a bit and I found yeah generally everybody was was really happy to help and, and give some advice but look majority of the people in my industry are a lot older they don't they're not very web savvy or internet savvy unfortunately fortunately for you yeah at the time yeah um you know since i started there's been more uh more people here in australia um you know putting their business online trying to sell custom furnishings online like i love like i'm a big user of online based apps and you know saas based products and whatnot like i've got a big vision like you know where my business is at now my vision is a lot larger than that so I kind of feel like I'm one step ahead each time or each year as I go by yeah and I appreciate you sharing how you differentiated your business because I think a lot of people step into it and think that they have to compete on price and in reality what you were doing is no. yeah mm. you were making your business more accessible by focusing on you know the online market and people being able to get custom tailored you know, furnishings, you know, directed yes. their door pretty much. Uh, and you yeah. also dominated the middle area where, like you said, there wasn't anybody in that space. You either had really expensive products or, you know, something on the cheaper end. And that's really something important to note in almost any market is that there's probably going to be gaps that aren't being filled right now. And you need to make sure that you're well positioned for that. And it's not that you just saw the gaps. You also recognize that your skill set was for doing the online stuff that other people weren't doing. 
Yeah, that's right. But look, having said that, it took me a while to get to that point, to be honest. Like when I started, that was the idea that I had, but I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to get online, how to make it work. And another big element for me was getting the right business model. You know, with this industry, even though, you know, your your products are very expensive, profit margins are actually very low. So that was something that I sat on for a long time and I, I tried to strategize around it. You know, how can I have a product that is at the right price, but that I'm also going to be a high growth company and I'm going to be able to make some money. So that was a big challenge and it took a few different business models before I could get it right. I appreciate you sharing that because uh, a few of the guests that we've had on the show make it sound like it's a straight line to go from, you know, the, no. <laughs> from the concept to, to dream yeah. realized, right? Um, and I know that's not the case just personally. As an engineer, I know that we iterate our designs constantly. You're constantly, it's almost a guess and check where you're going out there, you're testing the market, seeing if it works, growing it if it does, or scaling back if it doesn't, and changing or pivoting to a different audience. And it's almost like you have to do that constantly. It's constant. Yeah. You know, just being able to adapt, being able to change. And for me, it's been a lot about perseverance as well. You know, there were times when, you know, a certain business wouldn't work. I kept at it and it got to the point where it was like, look, I need to change this model or I, I need to quit. And look, I was just never prepared to quit. So <laughs> I never quit basically. And that's just a personal characteristic of mine, but it's paid off. You know, and knowing when to quit is so difficult because sometimes the answer is that you need to quit because maybe you've picked a uh, you know a market that's too saturated or the audience and product fit isn't right. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the the business models that you chose that didn't quite work out. Can you mention some of those and, and maybe why they didn't work for you? Sure, sure. Well, initially, um, look, my idea was to just have ready-made high quality product like a lot of the ready-mades that are out there probably not where you're at but here in Australia it's just really tacky cheap ready-made curtains <laughs> and so I thought you know what I'll, I'll have a ready-made product with all the custom or bespoke standards and my idea was just that <laughs> however I didn't have the big buyers I didn't have enough buyers for that I, I needed to have some cash flow so I got into custom made again but then I was sucked into doing it the traditional way of selling custom made curtains where you you know visit the clients you do a free measuring quote and I did that for about a year and it just, it wasn't working for me. You know, like I said, the margins in that industry are very low. And, you know, I had, my son was, was still a baby. I just, I couldn't do it. As a mother, it was too difficult, you know, to work 50, 70 hours a week right. for very little return. And so I went back to my original idea of the ready-made art market. 
furnishings. And I thought, okay, well, how can I do custom-made as well? And that's when I decided, no, I need to sell custom-made online. And I moved towards doing that online and that took about about a year. And yeah, like then for me, it was just the website and, and, you know, I went through about seven different websites. I'm actually due to launch a new one again and then getting that right, getting all the systems behind it right. And now, yeah, I know exactly what my business model is and and where it needs to go for it to be 100%. Sounds like quite a journey. As you've gone through this, you know, how have you handled the custom aspect of it and still standing behind your work or providing returns when needed and things like that? That must be a, a challenging aspect of the business. You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder and someone gets their custom furnishings and they might not feel like it's up to par with what they were expecting, even though that's exactly yeah. what they ordered. Yeah. Yeah, look, I actually faced that a lot when I did custom soft furnishings in a traditional way where I would visit the client, I'd design it for them, etc. Now, because it's all online, basically the customer feels like they're in control. I help them along the way, I, I give them ideas and they can customize any element that they want. It's not just a matter of choosing a size and a fabric. If they want to add any other element, they can do that. And since I've started doing it that way, I have not had a single complaint everybody loves what they're going to get. Now, if a customer isn't 100% sure, we do uh, also scale drawings for them um, and sketches. But I don't really um, get a lot of issues with that. Like the customers that I get now are people who want to do it themselves. They don't want a designer. And, you know, they, they, they just feel in control of the whole design process. And it's very satisfying for them. But look, the biggest challenge for me was finding the suppliers or suppliers that I could work with. So, you know, with ready-made, it was that alone was difficult enough because I was sourcing it, you know, offshore and finding suppliers that could you know, do minimum order quantities that would be flexible and that also could develop the product with the quality standards that I required. It was very difficult. I actually went through about 200 suppliers. I even had to teach myself a little bit of Chinese just so I could get through QQ, which is um, a bit like Facebook that the Chinese use. You know, I I tried like Indonesian, Indian companies and nobody just could get the right quality um, for me. So, yeah, it, it took a while for me to find a supplier until I actually found one that was happy for me to train them. So I trained them through videos and, you know, like I said, initially I was bootstrapping it. So it wasn't like I could travel there and talk to them face to face. They were just very genuine people who wanted to help. I said to them, look, this is my idea. I don't have any money. And, um, you know, what I'm willing to do is, is just teach you. And, 
They took that on board. Uh, they provided my inventory uh, for free of charge for about six months. Wow. So I, I've built a very, very strong relationship with them. And now the next step, once I went to custom made, that was another difficult part. So I actually opened a workroom on the Gold Coast uh, here in Australia. And that was really good. I kept it very low scale because I didn't want to spend too much. I didn't want to have to charge my clients even more money for my products. I've just sort of made it work between international and then also uh, making my products locally as well. Talk about that strategy a little bit. Are you sourcing fabric from one area of the world and drop shipping it to your manufacturer and then they're providing a custom drapery for your clients and then sending it to you? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. So, one of the biggest strategies for me to be able to offer um, a good price product is for me to source the fabrics direct from the mills. Otherwise, it's just basically impossible and I'd be just another uh, person out there doing the same thing. So, yeah, you know, I mean, whilst I try to under-promise and over-deliver, uh, generally I do promise like a high-quality product at a very reasonable price. And the only way for me to do that is to cut a lot of the middlemen. Um, the biggest cost in in my in soft furnishings usually is the fabric. You know, when you're looking at art market quality products, it's generally always the cost of fabric. And, you know, I have actually sourced product that is sold for about $120 a meter wholesale. I've sourced it for about $20 a meter. So, you know, the exact same product, um, just by simply going, you know, direct to the mill. The only issue with that, of course, is that you do have to buy in larger quantities. And now, you know, because I've built those relationships, I've built the trust and, you know, I am able to uh, order lower quantities, but obviously I've got a much larger product range. So, I have more orders with them. How did you establish that trust early in the beginning? You know, it's very difficult. You can get to the position where you're over-promising something that you probably won't be able to deliver on. It was very difficult, but... Look, for me, it was just about being genuine, just being honest and just saying, look, this is what I want to do. And, you know, are you willing to help? And uh, look, it was, I was just very fortunate. I was able to meet a few suppliers who were very genuine and, you know, they also wanted to enter into the Australian market, which they weren't uh, doing directly. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I just, for me, I approached them in a very honest way. I didn't overpromise anything. It was just a case of saying, you know, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. And this is the potential, whether it, it will happen or not. I can't, I can't promise. Will you come on board basically? And um, lucky for me, you know, I found a few suppliers that were definitely very keen. It's been like five years now um, and I've been working with them for a very long time. So got a lot of orders now coming through. So obviously as the orders started coming through, that built on that trust and they were willing to do a lot more as well. 
I wanted to take a minute and talk about the one-on-one coaching that I offer to entrepreneurs and small business owners who are launching physical products. If you're just getting started, I can work with you to create a game plan based on your skill set and budget. We'll go through the product development process together and outline your specific steps to your industry or product. Based on your capabilities, I can also suggest ways that you can create or outsource workable prototypes and do some feasibility testing. Of course, I can review your prototype and suggest ways that it might be simplified or improved and ways of creating drawings or design specifications. If you're going to outsource your design, I can be your second set of eyes and check your design, keeping an eye on reducing cost or improving manufacturability. If you're going to hire a product designer, I can also walk through the process of hiring somebody and reviewing their portfolios and suggesting questions to ask them. When your design is complete, we can definitely work together to find the right manufacturer, or I can even ask for bids from domestic and overseas companies for you. Together, we can even come up with a quality plan for your manufacturer so you can balance risk with cost. These are just some examples of tasks that I've helped other clients with. Most sessions are usually an hour long, and we talk on Skype or through the phone. You set the pace and we come up with tasks that you should knock out before we meet again. I can hold you accountable and I'll also make sure that you're biting off the right size chunk for you. I really enjoy hands-on work. So if you think that you could benefit from one-on-one help, let's talk. Go to theproductstartup.com and click on the consulting tab to sign up for a call. You have any negative stories from working with suppliers and you don't have to mention their names, but was there any (laughs) learning experiences that you took away from the whole sourcing and getting samples and things like that? Basically, um, don't trust every supplier. So it was, um, I had one particular one where I put all my eggs into that one basket I spent, you know, the little money that I had earned on this one particular company, uh, this was before I found my more reliable ones. And, you know, I I got um, promised one product, then when I ordered the much larger quantity, I got a completely different product. And that took me back. I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was everything for me at the time. And it took me back, um, you know, a whole year. So um, I did have to say to them that I had lawyers in the area they were with and we were going to go in there and pursue a legal battle with them, in which case they, they didn't want to sort of take that road. So they, they did actually send me the, the proper product. But, yeah, I didn't work with them again. They, they did try to rebuild that trust and, and that relationship, but... I decided to just stay away. So for me, with any new supplier now, I won't just buy a a bulk size order based on the sample. I'll actually build it up slowly until they prove themselves. Yeah, that's a good tip. And I do that as well. I have a product that I'm selling Uh, in Amazon. Okay. For us, the shipping from China is a, a pretty large cost. And so yeah. the the cost to ship a partial container versus a full container is almost mm-hmm. ne- negligible for us. Okay. So the the ramp up is actually pretty quick. <laughs> you go from samples to full containers. Yes. But past that, like I totally agree with you. You know, ramping up to different container sizes and the frequency of orders. I, yeah. I absolutely agree. Have the yeah. manufacturer prove themselves exactly through, yeah. through their deeds, not just their promises, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, look, I've heard so many stories of people getting ripped off. I have a friend, they spent $50,000 on an order to buy electronics, 
and they got a little box in the mail full of USB memory sticks and uh, they disappeared completely. So wow. <laughs> I've heard a lot of stories like that. Uh, but for me, um, it was it's it's risky, you know, dealing with new suppliers. And at the time, you know, and I didn't have the money to, to waste. Yeah, I, I had to be very strategic in my approach with suppliers. And, you know, I, I learned my lesson very early on. So and obviously now because we have grown, it's very easy for us to go and meet face to face and another big lesson that I've had that I have learned working with suppliers is to have multiple suppliers that can give you the same product uh, the same quality product as well because at one point um, I was working with only one supplier and they were in the process of shutting down and yeah, it caused a lot of dramas. Like my business was on standstill for about three months, which was very costly. And eventually they did actually sell that company and, you know, we were able to, you know, get started with them again with a new owner of the company. But now I've got multiple suppliers that I work with and they do deliver the same quality product. Um, and it's also, it provides diversity, you know. Absolutely. So, you know, whilst one company can give you a certain product, um, the other one can give you something else. Yeah, and one thing that we didn't talk about at all is quality inspections. Have you used any third-party inspection services or anybody like boots on the ground, so to speak, in other countries mm -hmm. to help you when you can't be there in person? I'm a huge fan of that personally because I'm not able yeah. to travel to China. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I definitely recommend it. Um, I did use that initially, but it didn't work for me because unless that particular individual or company is an expert in what you're doing or if what you're doing doesn't really require any kind of expertise, then mm -hmm. it's fine. But it didn't work for me because the expense that I was paying for this particular individual or agency just wasn't worth it for me because they didn't understand. Like for me in terms, you know, when you're talking draperies, you, you want to look at the stitching, make sure it's right. Yeah, they didn't understand that. It's like, oh, it's sewn together. That's good enough. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of detail that goes into um, QA for my product. And it was a case where nah, I just had to do it myself. So, you know, every product that we get in, um, we do a QA check. And if it's not right, my supplier remakes it. And um, we don't have to pay any extra for that. And, and they're pretty honest as well and loyal. So, yeah, That's to be honest, I never really had any issues. After we did all the training and there was a lot of back and forth just to get it right. But, yeah, once it's done right, like, yeah, I, I haven't had any issues. So No, that's yeah. perfect. That's good to hear. So mm -hmm. as, as you went through this process and you're slowly growing your business as you're growing your supplier base, I imagine, yeah. what, what sort of things did you do on the sales side to make sure that you had additional business coming in? I know you mentioned that you started a website. Mm -hmm. How are you advertising that website? That has been a huge challenge for me. I would say that I'm okay with sales and, you know, I was very used to doing marketing um, from a very traditional point of view, but 
yeah, online digital marketing, that was just so new for me. And I just felt like, okay, the minute that I learned something, then there was, it, it just changed, um, you know, then remarketing came on and I, I just couldn't keep up with it. So that has been one of my biggest challenges. But one of the things that has worked for me now is social media and also developing a lead magnet uh, and then having some automated emails and phone calls. Yeah, that's interesting. So what's your lead magnet for since you have this physical product that you're selling? what, what, What gets people to give you their information? Yeah, look, I tried, you know, all the free reports. I tried discounts. I tried all that. None of that worked for me. Um, and then one day I just, and I didn't do this intentionally. I just thought, because I was getting a few requests for samples, like free samples, but not a lot. And then one day I'm like, look, I, um, I just want to have like a page on my site where people can order free samples. And after like a couple of days, I had 20 requests, which was huge for for me at the time. And that was great, you know, because people could have the, the textile in front of them. But even better was the conversion rate. Like the conversion rate for me is about 50 to 75%. That's um, huge. From that one lead magnet. Yeah. So that's when I decided, okay, that's going to be my lead magnet and I'll build that whole, you know, concept of, of having a funnel around that. Well, and it makes sense too, because I imagine that you provide some exclusive fabrics that are at least difficult to source. So you might, someone might get close, but if they're picking one, yeah, I'm looking at some of your patterns here. If they're picking mm-hmm. something that's very specific, it's going to be difficult for them to take your lead magnet and go somewhere else with it. Yeah, because I source my product directly from the mills. Uh, nobody else has any of my product. So, you know, unless they're a retail store that sells it or, um, you know, they buy through me, there's nowhere else that they're going to be able to get any of my product from. So, how are you able to ship out all these samples for free while you're running your business? So, I now have um, an admin person who does that. So, as soon as a request comes through, um, we send it out the next day. I send it out express, which, you know, costs me about 7 to $10 to send out. But it's definitely worth it for me because it's usually um, very likely that I'll be able to close that sale. Yeah. So let's talk about your funnel for a little bit. You mentioned that the sample process is a big part of that. Okay. So f- from what I understand it, based on your explanation, someone will, yeah. will browse to the site. They'll see that there's a free sample button on the website. They'll hit it. They'll fill out their information, pick their samples. Yeah. They'll get the samples in the mail. I imagine you yeah. follow up with them with a series of emails at some point. Yep. So the first thing I do is I actually follow up with a phone call. So like my funnel is not just online, but also um, over the phone and through mail. So um, I follow up with a call and then depending on how that goes, I take sort of like the next course of action. Sometimes after the one call, they're ready to make an order. But look, in in this industry, it usually takes about four to six weeks before somebody places an order. Um, So then my next series um, is uh, like a series of emails 
And it's not so much around, oh, this is what we do or selling my product or anything like that. It's more just email saying, what can we do for you? So one of the things, for example, um, that I sort of mentioned before was that we can do sketches. So if they're unsure of, you know, what it's going to look like, we can do sketches. And I send them an email around that. And that really, like, they love that, the fact that I offer it. But mind you, they never ask me to do it. Like, it's very rare that I've had to do sketches. So the next thing, I just have more emails. You know, it's like, you know, can I give you some more samples, things like that. And people generally say, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind some more colors. And even though these emails are automated, they usually respond to them. So it's more like conversation. Like my emails are very, very simple. It's it's more like an actual personal email as opposed to like a mass bulk email. Yeah. And I get response from that. And then... I continue with my follow-up calls, which are never sales pitches or anything like that. It's just like, you know, how can I help you with designing your product? Or, um, you know, usually what I say to them is, you know, what is it that you're wanting to achieve? Because sometimes it's not about just looking at the the window furnishing you got to look at the whole interior so I ask them you know what is it that you want to achieve in your interior and we look at it from that perspective sometimes curtains isn't the most appropriate thing and I do tell them and um, obviously I only sell curtains I don't actually sell blinds or other things and they're like oh yeah you know they appreciate the fact that I'm honest or whatever they have in mind sometimes it's not appropriate Um, I give them a lot of because they're doing it themselves essentially they're measuring themselves doing the whole process themselves I give them a lot of technical advice and tips and they really appreciate that so I think that's probably why I've got a high conversion rate with that particular lead magnet so do you make the calls yourself whenever you follow up on these leads now I do actually have salespeople, and their conversion rate is a lot lower than mine you know I think um, because yeah, like they want to sell. I just want to help out. I just want to see my product in their home. For me, you know, obviously it is about the money, but for me at the end of the day, it's about just having that satisfaction of seeing my product in their home and being able to help them to achieve a a beautiful interior. So yeah, I, I don't know, like I call people from a, you know, how can I help you standpoint instead of, you know, buy my product. And yeah, so I've built a lot of relationships they all refer me on to other customers essentially um i do some of the calls i that's what i love i don't love all the admin accounting stuff so i don't do any of that one of the things i love is just helping people and so i try to do as much as i can with that and then i've got some sales stuff so i've got uh, a sales stuff that does my web base and i also wholesale now So I've got somebody that deals with those wholesale um, clients and that's totally different to online. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit while we have some time. How did you get the wholesale Mm. clients to begin with? And did you, did you, did you start with the smaller, you know, the wholesale accounts and work your way up or just go the jugular, so to speak, and go for the largest accounts you can? Mainly the smaller ones. And um, with all my wholesale leads, I only get them from trade shows. 
I do get some now from Instagram. I haven't been on Instagram for very long, but I've had quite a lot of interior designers come on board there. I've also got retail stores um, that stock my product. And, uh, yeah, that's mainly been through trade shows and also through, like, personal connections uh, that I've had over the years. Just to make it clear to everybody else, I imagine that your product doesn't have any type of protection on it in terms of uh, intellectual property protection, like uh, patents or anything like that? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, no. Pe- people will uh, beat me over the head if I don't ask that question, but I think a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the... Uh, A lot of the differentiation, especially from a business like yours, comes from the unique value that you provide, especially from the sourcing that you're able to do. Like you said, you're going directly to the mills, getting pricing that's better than anybody else, and you're more accessible to your customers through your online presence. Plus, you're able to basically sell a custom ordered product. So unless someone's willing to go through all that trouble to duplicate your efforts... You pretty much have a, you know, almost like a trade secret, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, like I said before, I always try to be one step ahead. So my vision is always two to five years ahead. So, you know, even obviously like there are other people, especially overseas, doing online draperies. Yeah, they're huge in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, in Australia, it's very new and um, there's more now, but Look, um, their approach to it also, like they're sort of trying to apply the traditional way of doing it online, whereas for me I've just I've tried to scrap the traditional way of selling draperies completely and, and just try to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, and that's that's worked for me. So and, and, and for my customers, like my customers, one of the things that one of the, um, the kind of feedback that I receive from them is that you know, with your traditional retailers, they go into a home, particularly if it's a very uh, upmarket home, and they give them a price that's a lot higher than what they would give another client, for example. And that's very common in this industry here in Australia. Whereas with me, my customer can go online and get a price instantly and everybody gets the same price. So it's very transparent. You know, I've dealt with like the kind of clients that I deal with now are pretty much mansions and, you know, some very upmarket homes and they're buying my product and they're just astonished at, uh, you know, the price. Um, Whereas for some other clients that are more budget conscious, my price might be very expensive for them. So yeah, my target is very much those people that don't particularly have the money to buy through like uh, an interior designer, but they do they want the they same need, effect. They need a quality product, yeah, because of their home or the kind of home that they have, yeah. I appreciate you sharing all that with the audience, especially going through the thought process because, as you said, it's a yeah. journey. What's your perspective on failure? Like I look at failure as a data point and I'm an engineer yeah. and so – uh, for yeah. all the failures that I have, that just gives me feedback to improve. What is your take on that? Yeah, look, I totally agree. Like I said, I actually had a business in um, this same industry years ago. And 
I never realized it had failed. I never, I just thought, oh no, like, you know, I've got to move on to the next step. So for me, um, everything that I do is a learning curve and I don't take failure to heart. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, it's about, you know, embracing it. So embracing failure and doing something a lot greater and bigger uh, with that experience. Perfect. Perfect attitude. Thank you for sharing that, Alsa. Where can people go and find your draperies? And are there any stores or anything like that where they can go find them? Um, yes, yes. So if they go to our website, it's portier, P O R T I E R E dot com dot AU. Um, and on there, yeah, they can have a look at some of the other stores. So we have stores on the Sunshine Coast, the Gold Coast, in Sydney, and also in Melbourne. And yeah, or they can just buy online. Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us. And before I, I let you go, I always want to ask, do you have that one tip for somebody that's kind of struggling? They're just starting out and they feel like they're not getting anywhere. And, Mm. you know, what's your best tip to make sure that they stay the course? Uh, Look, I do have a couple of keys to success that I sort of hold on to. um, And uh, look, for me, number one would be the business model. Try to find a business model that uh, will bring high profits um, that is very easy to run. Like, you know, businesses can get very complex, but if you have the right business model, you can keep it very simple. Perseverance, adaptability, having the ability to change and also aiming for excellence on a continuous basis. So, Sounds like a full plate. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Alice. Really appreciate your advice to everybody. And thanks again for coming on the show. I wish you all the best and all the success in your business. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I hope that you enjoyed our talk with Alice. Here are my three takeaways for this week. Number one, differentiate your business. Don't race to the bottom on price. Alice created a different business model that one her competitors were using. How are you standing apart from other similar products on the market? Do you think that's enough to win more market share? Number two, be flexible. Alice changed her business model multiple times. The same applies to products. Don't expect to design the right product at the beginning. Listen to your customers and pivot your design or business if you don't get traction. My mom always told me, it's not the strongest animal in the jungle that survives. It's the one that is quick to adapt. And number three, focus on continuous improvement. As easy as it is to start a business now, it's similarly easy to fall behind if you don't spend enough time to improve your processes and leverage the new tools that make it easier to develop and manufacture new products and grow your marketing and sales and interact with your customers. So set aside time every month or every quarter to explore some of the new tools and different business models that are out there. If you'd like to get these takeaways in your inbox, just go to theproductstartup.com, scroll to the footer of any page, and sign up to the weekly wrap-up. You'll get my three takeaways for each guest, along with interesting articles, free tools, and inspiring innovations that will help you with your own product startup. So I have a bit of an announcement. From this point forward, I'm moving from a weekly show to a bi-monthly show, and that's actually for a few reasons. I'm working with more clients now and spending more time on my Amazon product. I'm also working as a mentor at a local startup incubator called Station Houston. 
If you're a longtime listener of the show, you'll know that I bought a foreclosed home that was boarded up and I renovated it from the studs up. My mom has been a realtor for the last three decades, and I'm going to take over her real estate investments and businesses as she moves into retirement. So as I've taken on these new projects, it's been increasingly difficult to dedicate a day or sometimes two days a week to the site and podcast. Each episode of the show takes me about seven hours to produce from finding guests to recording and editing the audio and creating the notes and marketing it. I really like doing the podcast and I'm going to keep it going as long as I can. The monthly downloads of the show continue to grow at at least 10% every month. Last month, the product startup had over 6,200 downloads. So thank you to everyone who listens and passes the podcast along to their friends. So join me next time as I speak about manufacturing. We'll have a guest host, Kirsten Ross of Crowdfunding Uncut, will actually interview me. So tune in in two weeks to hear that episode. Thanks again for joining me today. I hope that you're taking action on developing your products. And I'll see you in two weeks.